welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Good morning, church. It is a blessing to be with you, as always, and uh, commend you for your bravery of surviving the horizontal rain we are experiencing this morning. It's always a challenge. Um, we are, as I said, in Genesis chapter two, uh, 22. Sorry. We've had some uh, mountaintop experiences so far in the book of Genesis. Uh, first, we experienced the mountaintop garden with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, where they lived where they rebelled, and where they ultimately were driven out of the garden. Then with Noah, as the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat, where God makes a covenant with all of creation. But today we will focus our time on the most dramatic mountaintop experience in all the book of Genesis, in the entire book. Abraham's story has gone on for ten chapters at this point. But now the life story of Abraham reaches its climax and we are given an example of complete or of mature faith in divine provision. Complete faith in divine provision. At the beginning of Abraham's story, God calls Abraham to follow him from Ur of the Chaldeans to the land that God would show him. This really is one of the most basic ways of describing Those who are saved by faith, those who love God, they are followers of God. They believe, trust, obey, and follow God. This is one of the most basic biblical descriptions of the people of God. They are followers of God. If you are saved by God, then you follow God. And this is truly a proof of who are are the children of God and who are not. Oftentimes our claim to love God is tested by a call to follow God even through difficulty. And this is made evident at the climax of Abraham's story here in Genesis 22. God again calls Abraham to follow him, but this time it's to the land of Moriah. And God isn't promising land, fame, or descendants. This time God is saying, follow me. And, he, and God is demanding sacrifice from Abraham. So with this in mind, let's read Genesis 22, beginning in verse 1 through 19. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, 
God will provide for himself the land, the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorn, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful story in, in the book of Genesis. I cannot imagine the difficulty that Abraham goes through in this story. Yet, Lord, I, I thank you that you have written this down for our instruction, for an example to us, your people, of complete faith in our God who provides Lord, would you open our hearts so that we can, can see, so that we can hear your words to us today, wherever we're at. Would you do this uh, through your Holy Spirit, so that we, we will leave today not the same as we came in. May we always be changed. May we always grow. May we always look more like the Savior each time we come before your word. Would you do this for your glory and for our good. Amen. James says in his letter to the believers who were scattered throughout the known world, he says in James chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This word steadfastness is, means endurance, which is the inward fortitude to withstand hardship. He goes on to say in verse 4, And let steadfastness, or this endurance, have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. These words, perfect and complete, do not describe sinless perfection, but instead describe maturity, or this idea of wholeness, completeness. It's the concept of having all the necessary tools and having the necessary skill to wield these tools for whatever the task may be. Previously in Genesis 20, we saw that our joy in God and our worship of God, which is what we were designed for, so what we were created for, for joy in God and our worship of God, 
that they are not complete until we completely trust in God. God wants us to look to the promises He has given us and live as if we believe His promises to the very end. Genesis chapters 12 through 22 have been a vivid depiction of how God does this in the life of Abraham. How God brings Abraham to the point in his life where he completely trusts in the promises of God. Romans 4 verse 20 describes this process of Abraham's growing faith. Paul looks back to Abraham and gives us this insight. Romans 4 20. No unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So Abraham grew strong in his faith through these trials, these troubles that we've, we've seen, through leaving his home of Ur, in God's protecting him in Egypt, through his victory over an invading army, through the testimony of Hagar that God sees, hears, and is acting, through God's intervention with Abimelech and in the miraculous birth of Isaac. This is the story of how God took a moon-worshipping pagan from Ur and turned him into a giant of the faith by means of trials and victories, troubles and blessings. So with this in mind, let's look at how Abraham's complete faith is demonstrated. How his complete faith in Genesis 22 is an example to us. First, when God commands Abraham to sacrifice his son, Abraham obeys immediately. Abraham obeys immediately. Apparently God spoke to Abraham during the night because the passage says Abraham's response was to get up early in the morning and immediately make every preparation so that he would obey God and not be tempted to delay. I mean, that's what we're tempted to do when God asks us to do something hard, or even when our boss tells us to do something hard. It's like, ah, you know, I'll get to that when I absolutely have to. And just in case we should harshly think that Abraham's immediate response was due to a lack of love for Isaac, just in case we should ever think that, Verse 2 depicts for us the impossibility of what God has just commanded Abraham to do. God says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. We should not imagine for one moment that Abraham is like a robot simply following the detached orders of God. With this one command, God has taken the joyful laughter in Abraham's life and has turned it to ash in his throat. Make no mistake, it, was, it would have been easier and less painful for Abraham to never have had a child than it would be for him to take this young man to Moriah and sacrifice him on an altar. That would have been much easier. But when Abraham receives the command during the night, he determines to obey immediately not giving himself the chance to come up with excuses or be tempted to try and save the promises himself again like we've seen him do multiple times in Genesis. Church, this is an example of complete or mature faith. Spiritual maturity is demonstrated by immediate obedience when our Master speaks. 
You may be doubting that God will ever speak to you in a dream like He did for Abraham, and, and maybe He won't. But did you know that God is speaking every time you read the Word or hear His Word faithfully preached? Did you know that God is speaking every time His Holy Spirit within you convicts you of sin or calls you into action? Surely you can testify with me that the Spirit of God is active within us, persuading and guiding God's people to be conformed into the image of Christ. Surely this is true in you as well. So we cannot say that God has not spoken to us. We can't say that. In fact, if you are a Christian, then God is speaking to you personally through His words written, through the Holy Spirit that indwells you, and through His law of righteousness which is written on your heart. The question for the Christian is not, has God spoken to you? But rather the true question is, how do you respond when God speaks to you? When God speaks conviction into my soul, am I quick to confess and repent of things like anger, selfishness, or pride when it comes out in my home? And when I display these things toward my wife and children, do I quickly repent? Do I quickly obey like Abraham or, or do I let the sun go down on my anger? Are you quick to reject thoughts of hopelessness, defeat, or worthlessness? Refusing to live as merely a survivor in this life and instead pursuing the promise that in every difficulty in life, Christ Jesus has made you more than conquerors because through Jesus, the love of God can never stop shining on his people. Do we, do we live like this? Are we quick to tell our own selves, to preach the, the truth of God's word to ourselves, that these thoughts of discouragement, of worthlessness, are as rubbish? They are lies spoken to us. Are we quick to preach that message to ourselves? Yes, these things are hard though. Repentance is really hard. I don't know. I don't know if you remember the first time, husbands, when you repented of something to your wife or to your five-year-old daughter or son. That was not easy for me the first time. That was really hard. These things are hard. Yes, discouragement is a battlefield, and sometimes it feels as if God expects the impossible from us. But complete faith rises early in the morning, saddles the donkeys, and steps into the seemingly impossible because our Lord has spoken. Complete faith is demonstrated by an immediate response when we hear our Master's words. Next, we see that Abraham's complete faith is demonstrated by his confidence in the faithfulness of God. Confidence in the faithfulness of God. After traveling for three days, Abram sees the mountains of Moriah in the distance, and he tells his servants to stay with the donkey while he and Isaac go on. But notice carefully with me what Abraham says next. Verse 5, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship, 
and come again to you. Notice that Abram puts his hope into words. He says that he and Isaac would both return to the servants. How could this be? God had given clear instructions not only to kill Isaac, but to also burn his body to ashes. That was God's instruction. Burn him to ashes. How could Isaac possibly return with Abraham? Then, as Abraham and Isaac are climbing Mount Moriah in dreadful silence, Isaac speaks his concern to his father that that his father had forgotten something. Verse 7, And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Notice carefully with me Abraham's response, verse 8. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. God will provide. The word translated provide is literally the word in Hebrew that is see. It is the word see. Abraham is saying God will see for himself the lamb. Which we've studied previously means that God will see to it himself. God will see to it for himself God will provide. Abraham, here Abraham is expressing his only hope. This is all he's got to hold on to as he climbs this mountain. His hope that God will provide. That God will, would see to it. That somehow, some way, that God would do the seemingly impossible and keep his promises. Because we have to remember that God had promised that he would establish his covenant with Isaac as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. That's Genesis 17 verse 19. God had promised that Isaac would have descendants. But Isaac isn't even married at this point. He most certainly doesn't have children. But as Abraham speaks to his servants... And as he answers Isaac as they climb this mountain together, we hear words that originate from a heart that had finally come to rest on the faithfulness of God to keep his promises. That is where these words are coming from, from a heart that was finally resting on God's ability to provide, on God's faithfulness. And this didn't happen overnight. This is mature faith that was refined in the fires of Ur, Egypt, war, famine, barrenness, and bereavement. Abraham had previously witnessed the faithfulness of God in these lesser trials, and now he was able to testify to his own soul and to others that God would provide. Somehow, some way, God would do what he could not do even see a way that it could happen. The Holy Spirit gives us insight into Abraham's thoughts in Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. Verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises, Abraham, he was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it is said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. The author of Hebrews is showing the impossibility of the situation. Verse 19, he, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, 
he did receive him back. As Abraham speaks to his servants and answers Isaac on the mountain, his confidence is so fixed on the faithfulness of God to keep his promises that he assumes God must raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham believed it more probable that Isaac would be raised from the dead, that the ashes of his body would be formed back into Isaac again and he would be given back to him. Abraham thought that more probable than that God's promises would fail. This is complete or mature faith. Complete confidence in the faithfulness of God to keep His promises. Abraham couldn't have known this at the time. But his testing, his pain, sorrow, and grief were part of a much greater story than his own. Yes, this biblical account is recorded for our instruction and as an example of complete faith. So we can glean that from this text and be encouraged in our own faith. But there is even greater beauty in the story than a single father and son's miraculous reunion. There is more to the story than this. Abraham's prophetic words, God will provide for himself the lamb, go much further than Abraham could have ever hoped. This dramatic story, as powerful as it is, is only a shadow of the story that God has revealed to all the world through Jesus Christ, His Son. One Jewish theologian who lived around 400 A.D. wrote a commentary about Genesis 22. And when he got to verse 6, where Abraham places the wood on Isaac's shoulders just before they ascended the mountain, this Jewish theologian said that Isaac, with the wood on his back, is like a condemned man carrying his own cross. Even a Jewish theologian who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah This Jewish theologian, as he's seeing criminals in his day, as he lived in the Roman Empire, as he's seeing criminals dragging crosses through the street as a regular occurrence of punishment, as they're on their way to be crucified, he made that connection between Isaac carrying his wood up the cross. Surely we can see an Abraham and Isaac's silent, agonizing climb, a picture of the Son of God and His heavenly Father ascending the mountain as Jesus is about to be slain. The sacrifice, he's, He is the sacrifice and God is the one who would slay Him. And they climb together, silent, as they ascend Mount Calvary in misery. How could anyone read the words, Take your son, your only son whom you love, which God spoke in Genesis 22. How can we hear that or read that and not hear the word spoken by God the Father over Jesus when He said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. When we see Isaac, a strong man at this point, most people believe he was between 16 and 20, somewhere in that range. When we see this young man willingly being bound hand and foot and placed on the altar as the sacrifice, 
How could we not think on Isaiah's words and rejoice in the Holy Lamb of God that was slain for us? This is Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And finally, after the angel of the Lord intervenes and spares Isaac's life, and a substitute ram is provided by God. Did you notice what Abraham calls that place, this mountain? Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, which translated in English means he called the place the Lord will see. He uses that same word, the Lord will see, which we know means the Lord will see to it. He will provide. That's what Abraham named this mountain. And from that day on, as we continue to read in chapter 22, from that day on, as descendants of Isaac traveled past Mount Moriah, they would point and say to one another in memory of this event, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. We're not told where this mountain is specifically. Abraham clearly knew where it was, and so did Moses as he writes 500 years later. He's He's testifying that to this day, 500 years later, people are still pointing at this mountain and says, On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. But thankfully, 1,000 years later, after Abraham, we're told exactly where this mountain was. 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, tells us that Mount Moriah was adjacent to the ancient city of Salem, which the Israelites would later call Jerusalem. This is the same mount where God commands David to build an altar and where Solomon one day builds the temple in Jerusalem. Mount Moriah is the temple mount. This is the the land of Moriah. The mount of Moriah is the temple mount. And for 2,000 years, from Abraham to Christ, Israelites would have passed by Jerusalem and hope beyond hope that on the mount of the Lord it would be provided. God would see their need and meet their need. But they could not have imagined the provision that God had in plan. Because God did not ultimately send a ram or an angelic army, or simply another human prophet, priest, or king to save them. No, God sent His only Son, His beloved Son, into the world to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, so that all who call upon the name of the Lord in faith will be saved, not from physical earthly death, not from oppression of the Romans, no, God sent His Son into the world as the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world so that we would be saved from sin, eternal death, and the fires of hell. And now whenever we think about the Mount of the Lord, which is Jerusalem, whenever, if you ever have the chance of going there, or whenever we think about Jerusalem where our Lord was slain, we do not say, there it shall be provided. We don't say that anymore. Now we say, and we boldly testify with complete faith to all who will hear that on the mount of the Lord, it has been provided. It has been provided.
The Lord has kept His promises. He has provided the one who would crush the serpent, the one who would heal His people, the one who would deliver His people from their sins and bring them with great joy and rejoicing into the presence of His Father. But these promises are only for those who repent of their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. You cannot claim that the promises of God are for you if you reject the one who is the fulfillment of the promises. You cannot be ashamed of Jesus Christ and receive the promises with Abraham. While Jesus walked this earth with His disciples, and as He saw the day approaching when He would carry the wood on His shoulders up Mount Moriah, He said these words to those who claimed to be His followers, to those who desired to share in the promises of Abraham uh, with, with, with Abraham. Jesus said this to His disciples in Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after Me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus said this before his crucifixion. Verse 25, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Church, Jesus calls each one of us to deny our own selfish desires and to willingly pick up the difficulties of this life and follow our Lord even to death. That's what He demanded of Adam and Eve in the garden. Our Lord said, follow me in my way and I will give you great joy. But Adam and Eve rejected God and followed their own way. God instructed Noah to follow him, to ignore the mocking of his neighbors as he built an ark in the wilderness, not even close to the sea. God called Abraham to follow him from Ur of the Chaldeans. Forsaking land and family, facing famine, danger, and barrenness. And ultimately, God called Abraham to follow him, even to the point of sacrificing his own son. It's very clear throughout the scripture that all those who would share in the promise of peace with God and eternal life must willingly lay down their own selfish desires, pick up the shame and trials of knowing Christ, and follow him. If we deny Jesus in an attempt to spare our own lives or in an attempt to gain this world, then Jesus says the very thing we feared, the very things we feared, they will happen to us. Not maybe, but they will happen to us if we deny Him. We fear things like loss, discomfort, pain, sickness, and death. These are the things we fear. And many have denied Jesus Christ because they feared these things. They have disobeyed His commands and have forsaken His people all in an attempt to avoid these things. 
They are attempting to save their own lives, is what Jesus, how Jesus puts it. But Jesus warns that those who deny him in this way, those who run from their cross in this life, are in reality running straight into hell, where they will suffer all these things for all eternity. That is the reality that Jesus preached. Whoever would save his life will lose it. He has forfeited his soul. But Jesus also promises that whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus knows this is upside down for his disciples and for us. This way of thinking is the opposite of what our own flesh and the world around us preaches to us all day long. We are told and we sometimes tell ourselves that we must be first. Look out for number one. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. Everyone else is doing it. Never delay gratification. Just let it go. Be yourself. Live your best life now. This is the gospel of this world. But by the power of the Holy Spirit within his people, Jesus calls us to follow him, to lay down our rights and revenge, our wealth and time, our peace and quiet, our energy and health, our pride and ambition, our houses, lands, cars, boats, education, jobs, and careers. Jesus speaks to us, his church, and demands that we lay down all things at his feet and proclaim that you are our king. These things all belong to you. Do with us as you please. We will follow you. I can't help but think about the words of Jim Elliot before he died in the jungles of Ecuador. He summed up the teaching of Jesus and his apostles this way in his, in his own words. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Do you desire abundant life? And Jesus says, lay down this life at my feet. At the feet of Jesus, lay down this life and call him, claim him as your Savior King. Be willing to suffer loss and shame with him, and he will welcome you into an inheritance of everlasting peace and joy, which can never be taken away from you. Let's pray.